Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Birdwatchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod, birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By Vortex Optics, with the VIP warranty, their unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. Learn more at vortexoptics.com. And Quest Nature Tours, offering expert-led small group tours for bird and nature lovers since 1970. Explore exceptional journeys around the world at questnaturetours.com. And Beautyo Books, an independent, family-owned bookstore carrying one of the largest selections of birding books in the world. Beautyobooks.com. Good morning, afternoon or evening. Welcome to our show, number 920. We're starting our show this morning with something hot off the presses. The Stellar Sea Eagle, which is one of the largest eagles in the world, the heaviest, I think, and native to Northeast Asia, and which caused enormous buzz in many parts of the country last year, has just been spotted again. In the state of Maine, according to several reports, the Stellar's was seen on Saturday afternoon, it's February 4th, from a bridge over the Back River in a town called Arousic. I think that's how it's pronounced, not far from the city of Portland. So the Stellar's buzz is back, at least in coastal Maine. Meanwhile, up at Vancouver International Airport in British Columbia, Canada, Moira, the American crow, has left the scene. According to an official tweet, Moira, who caused a stir when she decided to make the airport terminal her home, was safely re-released on Monday. However, Moira's own official Twitter account, yes, she has one, or at least she did, was not enthusiastic, characterizing the capture as birdnapping and saying that, quote, being manhandled is not appreciated. Good luck out there, Moira. Thanks again to Trevor Fletcher for first alerting us to the story of Moira, who might be a he. I don't know if we're sure about that. Well, if you've listened to our show for a while, you've heard us talk about plurting. That means picking up litter while birding. And we encourage listeners to become proud plurters by taking the pledge through our website. One of our new proud plurters is Emily Bueller from Hillsborough, North Carolina, who told us this little story about when she was camping at Carolina Beach State Park. She says, We were plurting, and we kept finding these piles of plastic wrappers, as if a bunch of people had dug a hole for a bonfire and threw some kind of plastic packaging into it. They were so annoying to pick up because they were brittle and disintegrated. Here's the surprise. It only took us an hour to realize they were the remains of hatched sea turtle nests and eggs. LOL. So that was really exciting. That is so cool. Thank you, Emily, and thanks for the accompanying photos, which we'll put up on our website and Facebook page. To become a proud plurter and take the pledge to pick up litter while birding, just click on that very versatile Get Involved tab at TalkingBirds.com. Now, from a place that's much warmer than Maine or British Columbia or Minnesota, as we'll learn in a moment, (laughs) or here in Massachusetts right now, We have an avian audio postcard, this time from our Frey McGregor, checking in from Central Florida. Hi everyone, it's Frey McGregor here. I'm at Orlando Wetlands Park, which is actually not in Orlando, Florida. It's a little bit to the east, near the coast. And there are 
lots of wetlands. Uh, it's well named. Um, and stacks of birds. There's about a zillion uh, common gallinules and American coots and making all these funny noises that you can hear. We've seen some sandhill cranes, um, every kind of heron except yellow crown nut herons, uh, and a whole lot of black-bellied whistling ducks, which make me so happy. I think they're such lovely birds. Whistling, even. And a few gators. Oh, and that was one of the three barred owls we've heard calling. What a spot. Oh, and a Caspian tern and a red-shouldered hawk. It's great. Okay, bye. All right, thank you, Freya. Wow, a zillion gallinules and coots. That's got to be some kind of a record there. Thank you for sending that, Freya. We invite Talking Birds listeners to send us um, uh, audio postcards. We'll have another one from a listener next week, in fact. Just... uh, Send one to Ray at TalkingBirds.com. You can just kind of record it on your phone there and send us the file and let us know if you need any assistance uh, with that, and we'll be uh, standing by to assist. Thanks to more Talking Birds listeners who have become ambassadors helping us spread the word about the show, and thanks to Bev Landry from right here in Massachusetts in Dracut, Mass. She says, I saw Stephen Hale do a workshop and tour that's what got me interested. I listened to the show on WCAP on Sunday morning. Thank you, Bev. That's our great station in the legendary city of Lowell, Massachusetts. And thanks to Bob Healy from Huntsville, Ontario, Canada. Bob gets around. He's birded in southeast Arizona, the lower Rio Grande, Central America, South America, including the Galapagos, Australia, and Alaska. He tells us that his son-in-law and he are planning a road trip to Bonaventure Island in the Gulf of St. Lawrence, just off Quebec's Gaspé Peninsula in June, looking for 11 species of seabirds, including the northern gannet and Atlantic puffin. I believe there are not a zillion northern gannet there, but maybe 100,000 plus, I understand, the biggest population anywhere on the planet. To become a Talking Birds ambassador, just go to TalkingBirds.com. It's that same place there, that Get Involved button. Very easy to become an ambassador and to be one, for that matter. Just uh, hand out at your convenience and leisure cards that we'll uh, send to you. Again, it's the Get Involved button there at TalkingBirds.com. Still to come today, the great Laura Erickson will tell us about 100 Plants to Feed the Birds. That's her new book about how we can turn our home gardens into healthy bird habitats. Also today, Mike O'Connor, almost live from the archive, reporting about owl watching at the airport. Very different kind of an airport. And up next, our featured feathered friend wants to be noticed and knows how to do it and is presented by Birdwatching Magazine. For more than a quarter century, Birdwatching has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. Sometimes, if you're really small, you have to do things to get noticed. That seems to be the case for today's featured feathered friend, the blue-gray gnatcatcher, which calls attention to itself through its constant motion, its scratchy but intense calls and songs, and the side-to-side flicking of its long, white-edged tail. That tail 
and its bluish-gray and white plumage give it the nickname Mini Mockingbird. The blue-gray gnatcatcher, which also sports a distinctive white eye ring, is a lively hunter that flutters among shrubs and trees, using that tail flicking apparently to scare up its hiding insect prey. It's the only member of its gnatcatcher and gnatren genus that's truly migratory, and it's found farther north than any of its gnatcatcher relatives, breeding over much of the U.S. in a nesting range that has shifted northward since the early 20th century, moving up a couple of hundred miles in the last few decades in step with increasing average temperatures. The bird winters from Southern California to the Gulf Coast and up to the Carolinas. The blue-gray gnatcatcher is a frequent victim of nest parasites. It fights back against those threats by building as many as seven nests in a single breeding season, often speeding up the process by reusing material from previous nests. Our bird is, like many others, not entirely well-named since gnats don't make up a significant portion of its insect-rich diet. The second part of its scientific name, cerula, as in cerulean, deep blue, does hint at its bluish-gray coloration. It's today's Talkin' Birds featured feathered friend, Polyoptila cerula, the blue-gray gnatcatcher. Welcome again to our show, number 920. Well, among other endeavors, Laura Erickson has worked as a teacher, wildlife rehabilitator, public speaker, photographer, blogger, and Cornell Lab of Ornithology science editor. She's written, if I have the count correct, 13 books about birds. And she's here with us today to tell us about her latest. It's called 100 Plants to Feed the Birds, Turn Your Home Garden into a Healthy bird habitat. Good morning, Laura. Good morning, Ray. So good to see you again. <laughs> it's great to see you, and we are seeing each other uh, via Zoom here, and uh, uh, you're up in Duluth, Minnesota, keeping warm where it's, uh, what's the temperature this morning? It's gone, gone up. Oh, it's a balmy 18 degrees. 18, wow. We're up to the 30s here in Massachusetts, so we're making progress. Well, you start off in your book, Laura, by pointing out that some 50 million folks in North America feed birds, but that providing seed and suet and such is only a small part of the nutrition equation. And uh, you say you're not suggesting we don't feed birds, but if that we want, if we want more birds, we should add more plants, right? Correct. And even the birds that come to our feeders benefit from native plants in our yard. Mm -hmm. So it's win-win all around. All right. I'll offer two words here, Laura, to ask you if uh, if maybe these are the key words to remember when adding plants to your yard. So uh, the words I'm thinking of are native and local. Would that be um, more or less correct? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that's absolutely correct. And my book is directed to the whole continent. And so I couldn't be as specific as your local bird clubs and garden clubs can be about what works best, which cultivars of which kinds of plants work best for each location. Even here in Duluth, Minnesota, we have um, 
plants that are local up here that would be uh, not work in Minneapolis. So that in that close uh, of that closer range too. So is that how far away well, is Minneapolis from from uh, Duluth? 150 yeah, miles, okay. but they um, and we're starting thanks to climate change mm-hmm. to see many more of the hardwoods up here that um, we didn't used to have. Mm-hmm. So red-bellied woodpeckers that make it up here now are thriving. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we had the very first nest of red-bellied woodpeckers in my yard, wow. uh, the very first nest for all of St. Louis County, wow. Minnesota. Good for you. Um, that, that back goes, in 2016. That goes with your four pileated woodpeckers you told me about in your yard there. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I feel so lucky. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Laura, your book uh, lists 100 plants that support birds from aster to yucca. You also point out that we shouldn't be afraid to plant trees that won't mature for a long time because they can provide nourishment for birds even when they're saplings. Is that right? Oh, I think, did we lose? A lot of people think things like oak trees. Oh, it's definitely true. Wonderful example of a tree that can take, uh, depending on the species, decades before it produces Mm -hmm. Is a single acorn. We got a little frozen but up there, but, but yeah. all those decades going, importing insects that are feeding our birds. All right, we think we got the gist of that there. Anyway, trees can provide nutrition even when they're just little saplings. How about a word or two about bird baths, Laura, and their importance? Uh, bird baths and backyard little ponds and water features can be very wonderful for birds but you have to make sure that you keep them clean Mm -hmm. and also make sure if it's water that doesn't circulate that you aren't fostering mosquitoes because the mosquitoes that grow in our yards in stagnant water and bird baths if you don't clean them often uh those are the present uh, carry um, West Nile mm-hmm. virus and things like that. They're not among the flying creatures in which uh, we're interested. Uh, Laura, we saw the story recently about a couple in Maryland whose homeowners association tried to make them get rid of their native plantings in favor of a large expanse of lawn, which provides, um, I guess, almost nothing for birds. And they went to court over this. The couple did and won. Tell us a bit about letting your yard go wild. Uh, The wilder our yards are, the better. One of the first things I talk about in the book, though, is that if you're going to attract birds to your yard with plants or with bird feeders, you have to make sure you're not drawing them into a death trap. Mm. So I talk about the issues of cats, and I talk Mm -hmm. about the issue of making our windows as bird safe as possible. But then lawns are sterile habitat there it's not even native grass that we're growing there and it provides hardly anything for birds so mm-hmm. it's much better as much lawn as you can allow to be taken over by native wild plants the better for birds and people have this mindset about what is attractive and perhaps that could be expanded a little I've never seen anything prettier than hummingbirds at bee balm. (laughs) 
Laura, your book is... is... They're not going to get any food. Oh, go on. Your book is so comprehensive, I was about to say, but as you mentioned a moment ago, and as as you say in the book, no book can list all the best choices for every yard all around the country. Tell us just quickly in the minute we have left about um, the list you provide of native plant societies in the U.S. and Canada that can help. One of my dear friends from California, Ali Sheehy, put that together for me uh, because I knew that we needed for readers to have support locally to get those local best choices. And so she found one uh, good organization for each state and province. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. That's a, that is, that's a wonderful list and obviously lots of information. You have the links there to their websites. So, uh, Laura, legendary birder and field guide author and our friend Ken Kaufman says this is the best book he's seen on planting to attract birds, and he calls it an essential reference. Uh, That kind of says it all, I think. The book is called 100 Plants to Feed the Birds, Turn Your Home Garden into a Healthy Bird Habitat. It's by Laura Erickson. Laura, thank you for this wonderful book, and good luck with it. Thanks so much for having me, Ray. It's so good to see you again. It's great to see you right there, almost in, in, in person. All right, Laura Erickson here on Talking Birds. And up next, it's our Mystery Bird Contest in just one minute. The flutter of a tail feather, the flash of a wing bar in mid-flight. You don't always have a lot of time to identify a bird in nature, let alone to appreciate its beauty. But with Vortex Optics, you'll have the power to bring every wild moment closer. When you choose Vortex, you're choosing to have a partner in the field as passionate about nature as you are. Whether you're spotting old friends on the backyard feeder or packing for a once-in-a-lifetime trip to add a few species to your life list, Vortex offers a full range of optics and optics accessories for every birder and every budget. And whether the birds are taking you to another state or another country, you're always covered by the Vortex VIP warranty, an unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. If you'd like to learn more or if you need help choosing your next optic, Give Vortex a call at 1-800-4-VORTEX or visit vortexoptics.com. Here's the sound of our mystery bird. Did we not play this earlier? I, I, we usually do that, and I'm not sure if we if we did. I'm pretty sure somehow that got uh, left out uh, along the way here. So let's uh, emphasize about this bird here. It's a water-loving mystery bird that's a little larger than a pigeon. It's brown or gray overall with large light blue patches that can be seen clearly in flight. That's on the front of the wing. The male has a large white vertical crescent on his face. Our bird, which breeds over much of the northern half of the U.S. and winters in Florida and points south, is found in shallow ponds and wetlands where it feeds on aquatic invertebrates, seeds, and plants. Clues in the sound of our mystery bird and beautiful prizes include the Brome Bird Care Mega 600 Feeder. With an extra-large tube that holds nearly two and a half pounds of seed, it's easy to clean and chew-proof and includes the Brome Seed Ventilation System to keep the seed cool and dry, and it comes with the Brome Lifetime Care Warranty. And from Wisdom Supply, a $20 gift certificate for their wonderful plastic-free products for school and office. And today's the last day for our Mystery Bird winner 
to be entered in the random drawing, which we'll, uh, we'll do next week for that beautiful pair of Vortex Viper binoculars or a binocular. It's the 8x2 Vortex Viper. This is an amazing binocular, full-size, lightest, most compact full-size binoculars on the market among them. It has stunning resolution and color fidelity and edge-to-edge clarity, and that's a special bonus prize in a drawing next week. So if you win the Mystery Bird Contest today, you'll be eligible in that random drawing next week. 781-837-4900 is the all-important number to call. And don't forget, no correct answer means we'll do a drawing to determine our winner. So feel free to take a guess if you're not sure. 781-837-4900. Meanwhile, almost live from the archive, it's Let's Ask Mike. It's just in one minute. Beautio Books carries one of the largest selections of birding books in the world. New, used, and rare books covering everything from backyard birding to general ornithology. From field guides to photography skills, biography, fiction, and humor. You'll find it all along with the knowledgeable customer service you've been looking for in one convenient place. Beautiobooks.com B-U-T-E-O Beautiobooks.com Quest Nature Tours has offered exceptional tours for bird and nature lovers since 1970. In 2023, join us in search of colorful bird life and jaguars in Brazil or on our brand new Zambia Safari. See amazing wildlife and explore habitats with travel companions who truly enjoy nature. Talking Birds listeners receive a $150 credit towards their first tour. Visit QuestNatureTours.com today. Birds and much more. Guaranteed. We head down to Cape Cod now, where the sun always shines and the owls have very short ears. Mike O'Connor <laughs> is down there. Uh, good morning, Mike. I understand you've been spending time at the airport uh, lately. At the airport, right? up in Provincetown Airport. Yeah. Yeah, we got to, um, you know, I think I, ever since Harry Potter, you know, even non-birders have been interested in uh, owls. And the owls, trouble yeah. with owls is they're hard to see. They're nocturnal. Mm-hmm. Uh, they typically secretive, so sometimes we can hear them, most times we don't see them. Uh, but a short eared owl is a little bit of an exception for that. They're active hunters, they don't necessarily sit and wait for food, but they'll fly low, and they come out sometimes during the day, oftentimes at sunset, you know, they fly at night too, but oftentimes you can see them if you go to the right habitat, and then what's nice about short eared owls, they're pretty much in theory, everywhere. Mm. Um, you know, they're widespread. They're in all 50 states. They're not like snowy owls that just show up once in a while. And uh, even in Hawaii, so when you go, you know, when you go surfing this year, Ray, you can go maybe look for short-eared owls. I got my board. But, I was looking online, and David Clapp, you know, your friend David Clapp. Yeah. You know, posted that uh, that he had seen a short eared owl up near the Provincetown Airport, and you know, I think we both agree that pretty much everything David says, he kind of makes up on the spot. He makes it up usually. He yeah. Makes it up, yeah. right? But this turned out to be uh, kind of truth. So, um, you know, my wife and I jumped in the car the next day, and we drove up, and it was a sunny day. It was like three thirty in the afternoon, mm. and we drove up to the Provincetown airport and it's at the uh what they call the province lands visitor center it's right next door we parked there and i could thought i saw something over in the dunes and so i kind of climbed up on the dunes and there was david clapp 
<laughs> That's right. So I was very disappointed. Dirk, <laughs> <laughs> on the other side of the room, was indeed a surety at all. And they're, they're fairly tame birds. You know, you don't want to harass stuff, so I didn't want to get too close. But they're, they're not skittish. And, it, and it, I watched it for quite a while, took some pictures. And then it, then it flew off. And for the last couple of days, people have been seeing this owl. Now, the, the downside is these owls are in trouble. At least in the northeast, the habitat's been disappearing. The birth of grasslands and farmlands and all those areas are often turned into housing development. So their population, and even in Massachusetts, is, is in decline. But if you're looking for owls, kind of look at the e-bird posts. And then in the, at around just before sunset, go to a, a wide-open tundra, a boon, a dog, a boon, a dog, <laughs> <laughs> Not someone I want to say. Dune or bog yeah. area and fields, and, uh, you know, maybe you get lucky. All right. Well, thank you, Mike, and let us know if you find any more sightings of those, or of David Clapp. For <laughs> All right. We'll talk next week, Ray. Thank you, Mike O'Connor, yeah, down bye-bye. there at the Birdwatcher's General Store on Cape Cod. Every Wednesday, Birdwatching Magazine sends an e-newsletter full of information of interest to birdwatchers, including recent news stories about birds, conservation, and science, photography tips, stories about places to go birding, bird ID tips, and much more. Best of all, the newsletter is free. Sign up today at birdwatchingdaily.com slash newsletter. It's our mystery bird and our mystery bird contest at 781-837-4900. A water-loving mystery bird that's a little bigger than a pigeon, brown or gray overall with large light blue patches that can be seen clearly in flight. That's on the front of the wing. The male has a large white vertical crescent on its face. And Johnny is somewhere in Florida uh, to, um, I don't know, make us feel terrible about how cold it is up here. Uh, good morning, Johnny. <laughs> good morning, Ray. <laughs> I know that's not what you're doing. Besides, it's warmed up here. It's like 34 here now, so it's pretty uh, It's pretty tropical here. Yeah, it, it's a little chilly here. We're uh, maybe going to get into the 60s today, but... Mm-hmm. Um, and that's but what, what part? What part of Florida is that? Uh, Ocoee, Florida, which is Central Florida, where um, Freya McGregor's thing came from. Yeah, uh, weeks ago, I think at the uh, Oak, um, Lake Apopka uh, Wildlife Drive. The wildlife park there. Yeah. Anyway, back here to the mystery bird uh, contest, Johnny. You heard all that stuff about the bird. What do you think? I'm thinking, I'm not thinking, I'm knowing blue-winged teal. <laughs> blue-winged teal is what you're knowing, not thinking. Okay, well, you thought about it, and then you knew it. Blue-winged teal is absolutely correct. Nice job on that. Uh, Johnny, hey, we have time, Thank I you. think, for, um, um, what do we call it here, a bonus question. Yeah, that's what it is. Want to try it? Let's do it. All right. Theater prop masters are said to always keep what bird item Far from the stage. This is multiple choice here. Is it A, photographs of crows or ravens, B, any kind of bird's eggs, or C, peacock feathers? Which of those would they really want to keep away from the stage there in a theater? I would think maybe raven. Ray, you got to help me out here. <laughs> I, I think the, the answer doesn't include the word raven. Does that help? Peacock? Uh, I think the peacock feathers is absolutely uh, correct, yes. <laughs> the, the reason is because they have that sort of uh, what, what looks like an evil eye pattern. At least some people think it looks like that. And so they think it could bring bad luck in the form of technical failure 
and chaos. And I guess that evil eye thing goes all the way back to Plato and even the Bible, where the fear of the feathers themselves has existed, they tell us, since at least 1242, when they were linked to Mongols who advanced into Europe. That might be more, more info than we need, but there, there is the story. <laughs> and uh, so, Johnny, you're a winner on the contest and on the bonus prize, so stay on the line and we'll arrange things. Thanks, Ray. Love the show. Thank you so much. Thank you, Johnny. Johnny, down there in central Florida, we're out of time for this morning's show. Just a reminder and an invitation to join our Talking Birds flock. That's the Facebook group for Talking Birds listeners. And here's the thing about that. If you, uh, if you were to sign up today, you could become our 500th member. We checked this morning. We have 499 folks in the flock sharing all kinds of interesting information and observations and pictures and videos. You can just go to Talking Birds, uh, go to uh, Facebook.com and then Talking Birds flock in the search bar. That ought to do it. And that is our show for this morning. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. <laughs> Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Birdwatchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By Vortex Optics, with the VIP warranty, their unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. Learn more at vortexoptics.com. And Quest Nature Tours, offering expert-led small group tours for bird and nature lovers since 1970. Explore exceptional journeys around the world at questnaturetours.com. And Beautyo Books, an independent, family-owned bookstore carrying one of the largest selections of birding books in the world. Beautyobooks.com.